All right, so tonight our topic is Revelation's answer to crime, lawlessness, and terrorism. If you think about home, what do you think of? Now, this may be a trick question, I don't know, because home can be different for everybody, right? In fact, I just uh, yesterday was talking to some people about how dysfunctional home can be and how rare it is for homes to be the ideal. What home was designed to be was to be a safe place, a place at the end of a school day, at the end of something happening that wasn't supposed to happen. It was a place of refuge, a place of security, a place that you knew grandma was going to give you a hug and affirm you, or your mom was going to uh, hold you, or your dad was going to put you on his lap, or whatever it might be. That was what home was intended to be. But tonight we're talking about how I believe the devil is attacking our homes and our families, isn't he? And I believe everything that God wants to do in your life, the devil's using the media to undo in your life. 21st century homes are often a battlefield, and that is all too true. Even the the family dinners, people have done their whole doctorate, dissertation, PhD, and they've centered it all on meals together. They say one of the top things you can do to help your family is to have meals together, sit-down meals together at the table where everybody's eating at the same time, not one of these meals where supper's on the table and people are grabbing their grub and going to the the back room to study or whatever it is, uh, or grabbing their food and eating it in front of the TV. That's why your shirts have all that dribble on them, right? Eating in front of the television. And this is often the case too. It's a go, 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 rush, rush, rush. I don't have time for supper. I don't have time to make supper. I didn't have time to go grocery shopping. We don't have anything to eat. We're going out tonight. And of course, this has its own implications health-wise. Research reveals the reality of the biblical truth, by beholding we become changed. Do you believe that? By beholding we become changed? I mean, coaches will even tell you, if you can close your eyes and visualize yourself making that basket from the free throw line over and over and over, it will actually help you do better when you go to shoot that shot. That's why some of them, you can see them kind of almost doing that. It's going in, it's going in. By beholding we become changed. There's something powerful about where our thoughts are. And if our thoughts are constantly in the gutter or constantly being overly stimulated or whatever it is, that's going to change who we are. Our society has turned its back on God's moral standards. I would have to agree with that. You may not. But by and large, I don't see most of society upholding our standards. They're eroding away, just like on that house that we saw a picture of. The Bible's being forgotten. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a what? a fool. So I can't even trust my own heart. And you probably can't trust yours either because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Hosea 8, 7, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And so we've been sowing the wind of violence in the media and we are reaping a whirlwind of crime. Is it true? And hate crimes and terrorist acts and beheadings and and on and on and on. Um, We've been sowing the wind of immorality and we're reaping the, the whirlwind of divorce. We've sown the explicit sexual material, and we're reaping all kinds of effects on that too. Let's look at a few of these. How do you protect moral values in an immoral world? It's a good question. I think it takes us back to Scripture. Uh, Revelation says this. This is the three angels' message right at the apex, the, the center of the book. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the what? Everlasting gospel. Notice that. It's not something that's outdated, that needs to be improved upon. It's everlasting. It's not going anywhere. It's the only solution to the problem we find ourselves in. Okay? 
And he had the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That's everybody. What does everybody need? The everlasting gospel. And then it says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Now, I don't know about you, but judgment in our day and age is, is pretty much a dirty word. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Who's the Bible to judge me? Nobody can judge me. I'm in charge. You leave me alone. Mind your own business. Sometimes I say a little harsher than that. But it says, fear God. And again, this fear, I would say, is not about trembling with horror in the presence of God. It's about respect God. Give him his due, right? Realize that he is God. Fear God and give glory to him, not to yourself, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So fear God and give glory to him. So the judgment calls us to accountability for our actions. Have you noticed that nobody wants to be accountable for their actions anymore? <clears throat> when I was a student missionary, my students, they'd come up with all these excuses why they couldn't come up with their homework and it was never their fault. This guy, that's what they'd always say. Somebody else. Nobody wants to be accountable. Even in the media, nobody wants to be accountable. They try and sidestep stuff or they say apologies that to me are not real apologies. They say things like, well, I'm sorry you were offended. That's not an apology. That's not saying I did anything wrong. That just means I'm sorry you're upset. It's not an apology. Nobody wants to take, be accountable for their actions. <clears throat> and so they drink, they smoke, they, they run off the road. There's all kinds of things. And they blame parents. They blame churches. They blame pastors. They blame their teachers. They blame their great-grandparents. Whatever it is, there's always somebody else to blame, and it's never their fault. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's so refreshing when you hear, and you hardly ever hear it anymore, I messed up. Will you forgive me? I made a poor choice. I hurt you. I'm so sorry for that. Will you please forgive me? You don't hear that stuff, right? What would that do to our marriages? I tell you, when I'm in a fight with Elizabeth, now we don't actually get in fights, you understand, but just pretend we did. When I'm in a fight with my wife, Elizabeth, if I can muster these words, Elizabeth, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? We could do it out for another, you know, however long. Or I can just say those words and she just melts. And she can tell if I mean it or not, right? But it's important. You know, they, they can say, well, I'm doing drugs because that's all I knew growing up and all the rest. Now, I understand that your background and, and your environment, that has a role to play. But at the end of the day, you don't have to choose that. You don't have to choose that. You can choose something else. Now, yes, you've been at a disadvantage. Absolutely. And I'm empathetic to your situation. But you still have a choice. I still have a choice of what we're going to do. And that's the American dream, right? You've been given a bad situation, but you can choose to do something different. <clears throat> All right. Oh, boy. Look at this. This is not a doctored picture, by the way. That's the question. Is this a man or a woman? This is a man that's had certain surgeries to try and be a woman. Here's another one that's more popular. They call this today transgender. It's huge. It is huge. In fact, in North Carolina right now, there's this huge debate, if you've watched the news in the last few days, over this issue. Because I may have been born a male, but my sexual identity is what? It's female. And you need to accommodate me since my sexual identity is female. I need to go and use that ladies' restroom over there. And you shouldn't be able to stop me. And if you stop me, you are impeding against my rights, my civil rights. This is a hate crime and all the rest. I mean, I, I just find myself scratching my head on this. I mean, we're just becoming gender neutral. 
Never mind that there's thousands of studies. Anybody that studies family ministry or couples or anything, they all will tell you that the, the mind of the male and the mind of the female are vastly different. That doesn't mean it's one size fits all, but they are vastly different. God created us differently. Do you know what else? Over half of the people that say, okay, well, I'm actually a female, and they go have their surgeries, and they have bumps, or they have things removed, or whatever it is, over half of them, within just a few years, a short period of time, over half of them commit suicide. Because whatever it was that they thought they were going to get after the surgery, and it doesn't work, because why? They still have the male brain, or they still have the female brain. And now, they're, and, and too many of these surgeries get terribly botched up, and they're painful and all the rest, so they have that on top of everything else, and they're so confused. But, but this, is, this is our society. This, that one's actually a, a, some kind of a star or singer or something, right? Anyway. This is Time Magazine, the transgender tipping point. You thought homosexuality was the big thing. That's done. That's passed. The Supreme Court already ruled, right? Wow. In fact, uh, this isn't a doctored picture either. I almost feel badly that I'm the one sharing this with you. This is a female that has taken hormones to be able to grow facial hair and everything else to look more like a male. And... She, but if I call her she, I'll be in trouble. He once didn't have the child in the hospital because he had to check mother or something like that. And he says, no, I'm the father of this baby that I'm carrying. Does this sound a little bit convoluted? This is happening over in Europe. And it was in Huffington Post. This gets even weirder. Oh, this is a couple. This was the girl and this was the guy. I looked for the picture of them before they had their surgeries. They had these two kids together, but then uh, they decided somewhere along the way, because here they've already changed over, right? This is now the guy, and this is now the girl. They're still married, but now this, who was dad, they call mom, and this, who was mom, they now call dad. What planet are we living on? <clears throat> and this is unprecedented. The day of. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have a hard time going to Lowe's, picking out all these colors to light up my house the day of. I have a real hard time doing that. Somebody knew before there was a little bit of planning that went on. I better not go down that road. Anyway, unprecedented. The society we live in is a society that largely says, you are not responsible for your actions. I can do whatever I want to. Is that good for our society? Is that helping our families? Is that strengthening our churches? And forget the whole religious part, just from a, a standpoint of our country. Is it making us for a stronger country? That's what I'm asking. Now, some people might hear my lecture and think that I'm just, they like to use words like bigot. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe God died for the homosexual. I believe God died for the transgender person. I believe God died for all those people, and sin is sin. And if you're going to sit there in your high horse, or if I'm going to sit here up here and be so smug to think, well, they have issues, I'm pretty good. Sounds like you got issues and I have issues, right? All are sinners, all of us. All of us deserve the exact same thing, death. And all of us are saved only by grace. So I believe we need to love these people. We need to show them a better way by love 
through relationship. So we need to put our arm around these people. We need to get to know them. We need to talk to them, and, and maybe the Lord will open up conversations that we can have with them. But I believe, and I honestly, I pity these people because they're searching for something so desperately that they're never going to find down that path. That's what I believe, that none of us are going to find down any path that we chase, whether it's a career or numbers at the end of a paycheck or any of those things. Oh, man, I have to be done in 15 minutes. God's law is the basis of morality and the standard of judgment. You have to have a basis and a standard. In fact, the Ten Commandments are there at the Supreme Court, uh, interestingly enough. But that's another topic as well that's kind of gone by the wayside. James 2.12 says, So speak, and, a- and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. God's going to make sure that we're judged by something that we can understand, that we can know. It's not fair to me to spank- for me to spank my kids over something that says, well, you never told us. Right? I have to lay it out for them and say, if this happens, this is what will be the result. And that's what we have in God's law. So Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not kill, trying to protect the sanctity of life. Right? He wants to protect that. He wants to preserve that. He wants to put a hedge around it because of all the wonderful things that life brings that death does not. And so he says, don't kill. It's not good. We have things like thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, you're taking away all my fun. Really? You talk to people. In fact, studies show, again, the best sex is between a husband and a wife. Studies show it. Anybody who majors in the field, no one will even dare to try and debunk that. But the media will never show you that. They tell you, oh, no, it's best on the, the Wisteria Lane, you know, desperate housewives or, or in, in the bars or in the hotels or on the business trip or, or wherever they sneak off. That's not the truth. And people that go searching for it, it might be pleasure for a time, but then <laughs> bulldozes their life. And so God's trying to put a hedge of protection around that, right? God doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I know what I'm talking about. And we have example after example after example. And in fact, the media is a great example because they have everything. I've heard, uh, trying to think which superstar it was, that uh, he said, yeah, when you're, when you're rich and money is no object, um, it's easy for anything to destroy you because there's no limits. If I want marijuana, I can get as much of it as I want. If I want crack, I can get as much of it as I want. If I want pornography, I don't even have to go there. I can get as many women as I want. I can get whatever I want at whatever extent that I want. And so you watch these people climb this ladder, if you want to call it that. They reach success, and whatever their issue is, that might be some of our issues here, get so blown up because there's no limitations. Stop and think about that. God has blessed us by giving us limitations sometimes. Thou shalt not steal. How do you like it when you, you live in a place where people are stealing? Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Here we are in Revelation chapter 11. The temple of God, it's opened up in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. If we go back to the Old Testament and we look at the... Hello? And we look at, uh, this is the sanctuary. It was right in the middle of the children of Israel after they left Egypt. And here you have a high priest going in and ministering. And back here in the back, here you have the holy place. You have the most holy place. And there you have the sanctuary. There you have the two cherubim, the two angels. We talked about Lucifer, how I believe he was one of them. Okay? You have the Shekinah glory, the presence of God right there in the middle. And underneath the foundation of his character, very symbolic, you have the Ten Commandments. It's part of God's character. It's part of who he is. Some people said the other night, you know, you didn't touch as much on 
Um, why did God create Lucifer? Because his character would not allow him. That would be a lie to not create somebody because of it wouldn't benefit him like he wanted to. It'd be a lie. It'd be a false truth. It would go against who he is at its very core, right? And so the Ark of God's Covenant contains his law, which is one of the only things we have in all of Scripture that Jesus etches with his own finger, that God etches with his own finger in stone, by the way. Now, if you are in business and you go back and forth on writing or whatever it is, and you say, hey, check out this draft. What do you think? Oh, well, I think you should do this. Okay, what about that? Okay, it's getting better. Tighten this up here, blah, 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 blah. But sometimes, even today, we'll use the expression, well, don't worry, it's not set in stone. stone. If it's set in stone, what does that mean? It's permanent. Nobody wants their name spelled wrong on a tombstone, right? You can't just erase it. You can't, you know, you, you break it, you throw it away, you start over. Judgment and law are part of the gospel. Now, if you stop and think about this, why would God send his son to suffer that cruel death if all he had to do with some stroke of magic was change his law? Think about that. If God could just change the law, manipulate it, tweak it, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die at all. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Why don't we do that? Because that compromises who who God is. His whole character now is tweaked. And that's a problem. What else is God just going to tweak? Anybody like to play a game where somebody changes the rules midstream? <laughs> well, actually, you only have to have three of these houses in the year of the winter. I'm the winner. Yay. <sighs> you think, what? That's not how you play this game. So much so that God the Father is allowing his son to hang on a cross rather than change the law. That's pretty important and crucial, if you ask me. 1 John 3, 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So sin is breaking God's law. We have some more verses on this. God's law is his eternal moral standard, which defines sin and establishes our accountability to God. And I think we have another verse here. Oh, here we go. This kid here is watching TV. He's watching media. He's watching movies. He's watching everything else. And his brain is a sponge, and it's just going in, going in, going in. This father here is investing with his child with the Bible. And sometimes, even if this kid over here is watching something very benign, nature, planet, whatever it is, it can be so fast-paced that by the time you try and switch over and go over here, there's no pictures, Daddy. This is boring, Daddy. Is there something else we can read? Anyway, I got to keep going. God's law is the pathway to freedom and genuine happiness. Love always leads to obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is another key verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I think we can insert in there, if you don't love me, don't bother. If you don't love me, don't bother. Um, A lot of times teenagers like to say, well, is this a salvation issue, Pastor? I want to know if this is a salvation issue, whatever the issue is that we're talking about. Is this a salvation issue? I tell them that's the wrong question to be asking. It's the wrong question. I say, if Elizabeth asks me, she's my wife, you haven't figured that out yet. David, can you take out the trash? And I look at her and I say, is this a divorce issue? Excuse me? Is this a divorce issue? And she kind of backs up like, what's your problem? And she says, no, I just, it's starting to stink. I would like you to take out the trash. Well, if it's not a divorce issue, I'm not doing it. That's essentially what we're saying, isn't it? When we say, is this a salvation issue? It's saying, I want to figure out where that line is. I want to do the least possible. And I'm just going to dance on that line. My dad had that phrase. Oh, Dave, you just want to see how close you can get to the line without crossing it. That's what it's showing my mindset to be. And what kind of relationship am I going to have with my wife if I'm constantly saying, is this a divorce issue? 
I promise you, somewhere along the way, it's going to be a divorce issue. Right? Will you mow the grass? Is this a divorce? You know, on and on and on it goes. Because it reveals in my heart that there's no love and therefore there's no obedience. And if it's not motivated by love, she doesn't like it either. I got a, a, a texting app. Texting is almost becoming old school now. But I had an app that said, now you can program a text to be sent whenever you want to on repeat or whatever. I thought, oh, this might be good. I can program it to remind our Bible studies that we're meeting at such such a time and all that stuff. So I don't forget. And so I said, well, I better try it out on Elizabeth. So I type in, Elizabeth, I love you so much. You're such a great wife. And, you know, I'm so blessed to have you and all this stuff. And I meant it. And I sent it to her. But then I put it on what? Repeat. (laughs) What are you laughing for? (laughs) Next day rolls around. Exact same time of the day. You know how texting shows you the last one you got? I don't think I texted her in between. So it's the exact same time, 1.14. She gets the exact same message, says the exact same thing. The first time she called me, said, hey, what are you doing? Oh, that was so sweet. Thank you so much for that text. I really appreciate that. I just like to know you're thinking about me and all that kind of stuff. What do you think she said the second time? She always gets after me when she hears me tell the story. She says, you make it sound like I yell. I don't yell. But it just makes for a better story, right? What are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? I was out cutting the grass or something. I'm cutting the grass. Is that okay? No, what is this thing on my phone? And I'm completely clueless. What thing on your phone? Before it finally dawns on me, right? Oh, yeah. She's like, yeah. What is that supposed to mean? So I tried to explain, well, there's this repeat thing. And she's like, not cool. Not cool. Why is it not cool? Because it didn't come from where? And I imagine God feels the same way. If you don't love me, don't bother. Don't do it for your pastor. Don't do it for the person next to you. Don't do it for, do it because you love God, period. And so I tell people, well, am I supposed to start doing this? Am I supposed to start doing that? Should I change this? Should I change that? I said, well, you better listen to what God tells you to do. And if you're motivated by love, then you better do it. But don't do it for me because that's not going to last, right? You need to obey because of God. If you love me, keep my commands. In fact, in Isaiah, the first chapter, I believe, or, or second, he says, I abhor your sacrifices, Why does he abhor their sacrifices? It's not from their heart. And so they're just going over and over and over and killing and slaughtering all these things. And they might even be slaughtering knowing intentionally what they're going to do or they have the lamb ready to go. And they're not even thinking, they're not even sorry. They're just like, here you go. Here's payment for my sin and on the rest. And God, he detests it because it's not from their heart. I think it's the same with our obedience. If it's not from our heart, he doesn't want it. In fact, it probably hurts him, right? Okay, I need to keep going. I obey God not in order to be saved, but because I am saved. Is that true? Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You could read it, by this Elizabeth knows that I love her if I take out the trash, if I make my bed, if I clean up my you know, underwear off the floor, whatever it is. And if I don't do all those things, it's not a, a tit for tat kind of a thing. It's just, hey, if you truly love me, you're going to, I mean, think back when you first met somebody and you're, you were racking your brain, what can I do? to impress this person, to to make them smile. Oh, I'll bring them flowers. Oh, I'll write them a note. Oh, I'll do this. I'll do that. Motivated by the heart and it just melts. Okay, I got to keep going. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Grace and law are not contradictory ideas. What is the role of God's law? By the law is the knowledge of sin. And we've kind of touched on that already. So if the devil can do away with the law, hey, there's no sin. Let's forget the law. Let's banish the law. Let's take it out of our schools. Let's take it out of our courtrooms, all the rest. And so if there's no law, I can't do anything wrong. This is great. And if there's no law, I can't feel guilty. 
I hate feeling guilty. Do you like feeling guilty? I don't like feeling guilty. So let's throw out the law. Perfect. Don't talk about it. I would not have known sin except through the law, Romans 7, 7. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Okay, you get the idea. So what is the role of grace, you might be asking? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been what? Saved through faith, and that not of your selves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, there it is. It doesn't matter what I do. Well, what I do for Elizabeth, I'm not trying to prove to her each and every day that we're still married. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to, to show her how much I love her and how happy I am that we are married. Is there a difference? There's a huge difference. So grace is God's mercy, his pardon, his forgiveness, his power, his love. It's all of those things. In fact, it's even his grace that enables us to do good things and to follow his law. We can't do that by ourselves. God enables us to do that. So it's his grace from start to finish. But we have a part to play in saying, Lord, I want to do these things. Help me to do these things. Help me to walk according to your ways. And it's not just a click of the the fingers or a click of the heels or whatever. It takes time. And sometimes it's difficult and challenging. But if we love him, we keep his commandments. Does grace do away with God's law? Well, sometimes you you hear that. Do we then make void the law, Paul says in Romans 3.31, through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Are we saved by it? No. Should we throw it out? Absolutely not. We need to uphold it. We need to keep it. Why? It's because it's God's protective uh, fence around. It's his safeguard around all these things that are so precious to him. And if I love him, they'll be precious to me too. Does that make sense? What does this picture do? Does it raise anybody's blood pressure? Have you been there? Oh my. Now let me ask you. Y'all have been around long enough. If you have been going under the speed limit, you haven't been trying to fiddle with your phone or anything else. You've been paying perfect attention. You're at 10 and 2, and you're right in between the lines. You haven't crossed anything. You're not distracted. And all of a sudden, you see these lights. Do you panic? Maybe. Let me change it up a bit. What if somebody just passed you going 100 miles an hour? You ever had that happen on the interstate or something? And all of a sudden, it almost shakes your car. Whoa! What in the world? And all of a sudden, you see these blue lights. Now, how does it make you feel? Yeah, 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 get him! He went that way! Let's change it again. You're the one going 100 miles an hour. And you see this in your rearview mirror. Now how do you feel? Rut row. This is going to be a problem. And he pulls you over. And you are so guilty. Does anybody know of a place in North, western North Carolina where you can drive 100 miles an hour? Please tell me. Nope. Are you guilty? Yes, you are guilty. And you're thinking, well, should I cry? Should I, you know, admit to it? Should I say, I, I just, I, I wasn't paying attention? What are you going to say? And the cop comes up there, and you just, blur, you know, blubber something out, and, and he somehow has grace on you. Did you deserve the ticket? You deserve your license being revoked. He had grace on you. Now you can still drive to work. So because you're under grace, you say, thanks, buddy. And you peel out gravel all over his car and you 100 miles an hour again. I'm under grace. (laughs) You don't do that. You say, absolutely, officer. Thank you so much. I I really, really appreciate this. I will. I will what? 
I will slow down. And I might even wait 10, 15 minutes until you get go. I'm going to let you go first. Go on. No, you go. Okay. And you look in your rearview mirror. Oh, there's a car 10 miles back. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> That's what grace does. It motivates you to obey. Now, I've had friends that have had the opposite. They were on a motorcycle, and they felt like a cop chewed them out and was a jerk and all the rest. Showed them zero grace. And I wouldn't recommend this, but they went and found another cop on their motorcycle just to outrun them because they were so angry. I believe grace is what really compels us. And when we see and we figure out what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we see that that's for me in my place, that my sins kept in there, all of those things, when we fully understand that, we say, wow. And if we're by ourselves, we might just be on a heap on the floor. We might just be crying, saying, I'm so sorry. And that compels us to obey. Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. Because I don't deserve what you've given to me. Grace. Oh, there's the officer. Does he look gracious? Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. These are Jesus' words. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Um, You know, the biggest part of the law that he fulfilled, in fact, there's a book back here, Ten Commandments Twice Removed. What about all these ceremonial laws? Yes, you're you're right. We don't sacrifice lambs anymore. Uh, We don't do that whole ritual anymore. Why? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came and he was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb. And so that law was fulfilled. All the ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ. But you notice the ceremonial laws are different from the Ten Commandments. And that book explains it beautifully. Ten Commandments God wrote with his finger in stone. Hint, hint, hint. The other law was written on parchment paper and put beside, not in the ark. Meaning it had a purpose for a time, but that time has come and been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But the Ten Commandments are still, still there. <clears throat> All right. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I know I need to be done. What does it mean to be under the law? Well, it means to be under the law as a method of salvation, or it means to be under condemnation of the law because I broke it. And so what's being said here is that we're not under the condemnation of the law. We're free from the condemnation of the law because of what Christ did for us. And so what does it mean to be under grace? To be under grace means that I accept Christ's pardon, receive Christ's forgiveness, and I am filled with his power. Notice all of these are his. Christ's pardon, Christ's forgiveness, his power. I don't add to it with my good works. That's just my response. And so good works don't have to do with whether I'm going to be in heaven or not, but it does show what's in my heart. Elizabeth doesn't keep a checklist. He took the trash out eight times. I guess we'll stay married. She doesn't do that. But it sure does reveal my heart, doesn't it? And if my heart's in the wrong place, that's the problem. The law reveals our need. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law is what drives us to Christ. It helps us to see clearly how desperately we need him. I need to be done. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. People say, see, that's all that's binding anymore. It's not the Ten Commandments. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. 
Love God supremely and love your neighbors yourself. But on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does Jesus mean by that? The Ten Commandments, they all center around those two things. First four, how do you love God? Last six, how do you love fellow man? It fleshes it out. It gives you specifics. It doesn't make any sense that I'm going to care for my neighbor and, and think of them ahead of myself while I'm committing adultery with their wife, killing their animals, stealing from them, coveting their, you know, their new truck or whatever. It is. That's not how I treat my neighbor like I want to be treated. And it doesn't make sense that while I'm loving God, I'm, I'm using his name in vain and I'm looking and praying to idols and all these other things. It doesn't make any sense. And so that's just a summation of these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. The entire law can be summarized into one word, love. There's a, a summation that covers it all. Okay, Love your God and love your fellow man. <clears throat> Keeping God's law doesn't put you in bondage. It takes you out of bondage. If there's an issue and a sin in your life, you need God to overcome it. Period. You just do. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a place for counselors or for books or for resources or all those things. All those things come together. But we need to be praying all along the way, Lord, you've got to do this thing because I've tried enough times I can't do it. Bring somebody in my path that can help me do it or whatever it is. And he will help us do that. Boy, they keep coming. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Here is this example of God bringing them out of bondage by the blood over the doorpost. And so the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We're going to go fast. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, number two. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Number five, honor thy father and thy mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And number 10, thou shalt not covet. If you really analyze these, I wish we had more time. Each of those is so rich and so deep and so full. And it's the simplest way to put it. How would you summarize for all of humanity, follow these and you're going to be okay and get it to fit on two rocks in your garden? That'd be hard to do. And you could list all the do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You'd need like a pile of rocks. God summarizes in just two stones, very simply, do these things and you'll be happier, more fulfilled, you'll stay out of trouble, you won't feel guilty all the time, you'll be rested. Anyway, <clears throat> Psalm 111, 7-9, the works of his hands are verity and justice, all his precepts are sure, they stand fast forever and ever, and he has commanded his covenant forever. Satan lost heaven because of disobedience, Adam and Eve lost Eden because of disobedience as well. And Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's what he wants for you and I. That we don't have to go back and refer to the Ten Commandments. It's here and it's here. Not just here, but it's also here. We're motivated right here in our heart. God will have a last day people whose law is written in their hearts and minds. How do we know? Back to Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those, and what does it say? Who ignore the commandments of God. Is that what it says? Who get choosy about the commandments of God. 
who follow them according to what fits them best. No, here are the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then again, Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Who wants to be blessed? Everybody wants to be blessed. It says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Last book, last chapter. Blessed are those that keep the commandments. Not forgotten. And you might wonder, okay, I thought this was Revelation 7. Why are we harping on the Ten Commandments? I, I, you know, I've heard that. Yada, yada, yada. Keep coming. Because the Ten Commandments have a pivotal part to play in the book of Revelation. A very pivotal part to play. And we're going to get into more prophecy. We're going to get into more complicated topics. We're going to get into all of these things. But if you don't have this foundation and understand this topic, it's just going to kind of go... Phew. So the reason we're studying it is because the law is a major character in the book of Revelation. Does that make sense? Major character in the book of Revelation. To close, over in Cambodia, because of years and years and years of multiple wars, there's areas like this. Danger. Landmines. And they rope off an entire area because they haven't been able to comb it. And the jungle's so thick, they don't know if there's a mine underneath there. It looks like a, a metal part of a wheel, if you've ever worked on brakes, like a drum. And then there's a little push pin at the top that's maybe this tall. And you're walking through the jungle, you don't even realize it. Ho! Oh, and it goes off. Hello, hello? And there are people that, in fact, I put down in my notes here, Cambodia has some 40,000 amputees, highest in the world. And estimated there are some 6 million mines from three decades of war. So if you go to Cambodia and you see this, or you see this, or this, or the Cambodian Landmine Museum, how terrible is that? I bring this up for this very simple reason. The earth that we live in is filled with landmines. Filled with them. What kind of a God would we serve? If he said, go play, have fun. No, we serve a God that says there's landmines out there. And I don't want you to end up being an amputee. I don't want you to, to get your leg blown off or your arm blown off. I don't want you to die. And so I'm warning you. I'm telling you about these things. And if you place this hedge of protection around them, you won't get hurt. And so we have the Ten Commandments like this sign right here, danger, mines. <laughs> what does God know? What does that sign know? And people go running off. And you look all around you, there's examples of people hitting landmines. And I bet you for everyone that steps on one, you can look back at the Ten Commandments and says, you know, if they just would have done this. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but if they just would have done this, they wouldn't be in that position, right? Every time I've been in that position and blown off something, it's because I ignored the sign. Dear Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit has been tugging on us tonight. And Lord, we believe, I believe, that you have given us your law out of love. That you long to protect us from so many things that are out to hurt us in this world. And you knew that. And we can either follow the lies of the devil or think that we've come up with it or we can surrender to your way and admit that you know what is best. Lord, that's the choice that's before us tonight. So I pray that you will give us the courage to surrender to you just now in the quietness of this moment. Lord, we're not perfect. We sinned just this afternoon. We thought things we shouldn't have thought. 
but your grace is sufficient. And we can ask for forgiveness and you will cleanse us. You will restore us. You will empower us to be more like you and to have your character implanted in our minds and in our hearts. Grant us that through the power of your Holy Spirit tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.